the Indigenous Connection Show. My name is Randy Lynn and I'm the host for the Indigenous Connections radio show. Join me as we discuss various topics in regards to First Nations culture, arts, ideologies, and spirituality from both a historical and contemporary point of view. Randy Nitsigusan Mastasani Nihia Uchi Nia Laklabish Alberta Egwa. Welcome everyone. This is the Indigenous Connection Show. My name is Randy Lynnanamu Candleline, and I will be your host. Um, so a little bit about myself. I'm the eldest of three children, and my family originates from the Big Stone Cree Nation in northern Alberta, Treaty 8 territory. Uh, I spent most of my life right here in Laclabish, and my educational background is in Aboriginal mental health and Indigenous social work. So... My culture has always played a huge role and influence in how I identify um, my career choices, obviously. And I'm very honored to have this opportunity to share with you guys a little bit about the stuff that makes my world go around my culture. So each week we'll be discussing various topics in regards to First Nations culture, and that includes art, history, ideologies, and spirituality, from both an historical and contemporary point of view, sorry. And the reason why I mention contemporary point of view is because there's kind of this misunderstanding, this stereotype that First Nations culture is something that happened in the past. Yes, we as a people rely heavily on the teachings of the past and honor that, but we are still here and we are still evolving. And with that, our culture, our languages, our teachings evolve with the times so that's why I wanted to make a mention of why I mentioned contemporary point of view so by hosting this radio show every week it's my hopes to start having conversations and creating a dialogue with explanations I hope to start breaking down stereotypes and building what I like to refer to as a bridge between indigenous indigenous sorry and non-indigenous communities um and this is how we start to move forward in the spirit of reconciliation. So what I hear a lot of people saying is they try to attend First Nations celebrations, such as a powwow, but it can be very overwhelming. There's a lot of colors, a lot of sounds, a lot of everything going on, and it's really high paced. So sometimes people don't know what the heck is going on. Um, so it's with this radio show, I hope to start to break down these things that you commonly see in Indigenous culture, Indigenous society, Indigenous communities, and help to give you guys an understanding of what we're doing to help minimize misunderstandings and miscommunications. And I always felt education is the greatest tool to help build relationships between two communities. So with that, today's topic will be the medicine wheel. Um, You've probably seen a medicine wheel before, but never really understood the context which it holds. So really quickly, a medicine wheel is a circle divided into four quadrants represented by four colors. Usually those colors are white, red, yellow, blue, and black alternatively. Um, A very simple model by design, but it and holds many 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 teachings so that is what we're going to get 
talking about today. When the morning breaks and the sunlight warms my soul In the east the eagle flies and the red tail proudly soars I'm on my way To the place of a spirit one Grandfather hear me now I am on fire Let the sun dance guide my feet to your desire Show me visions for my eyes And words like gold that shimmer in the sun I When the sun goes down and it grows too dark to see I look within to the shaman's mysteries I'm on my way To die and live again Grandmother Earth, I cry, give me rest I take my place with a woman in the west Show me the raven and the bear The way of herbs and the black obsidian Hi-ya, hi-ya, hi-ya Turn toward the south like the water I will run Innocence and trust The moon child song is sung I'm on my way To the place of the sacred plants My emotions and my will at their command Where the turtle's voice is heard upon the land Where the wise coyote prowls The rattlesnake will call me In the deepest night the stars watch over me Old woman of the north my mind seeks clarity I'm on my way the place of the northern winds Let the thunder and the lightning carry me Lay my thoughts to rest and send me into sleep The hawk and the buffalo My dreams white crystal magic medicine hi Hey guys, welcome back to the Indigenous Connections Radio Show. I'm your host, Randy Lynn, and today's topic is medicine wheels and medicine wheel teachings. So what the heck is a medicine wheel? Uh, Feel free to Google it really quick for a visual image, but for those of you who are listening, maybe driving at the moment, don't do that. So I'll do my best to describe what it is. So what it is, is a, a circle, and it's divided into four quadrants, so divided into four spaces um 
if you're a mathematician, the, a circle divided into four quarters, if that makes more sense. And the four quarters, the four quadrants are represented by four colors, white, yellow, red, blue, black, alternatively. Um, the medicine wheel is often an image utilized to represent First Nations people in Canada as well as the United States. It's an, it's an image we'll, you will often see without even realizing it. Um, it's very simplistic in design, but it, it, it holds so many teachings, so many understandings. And that's what we're going to discuss today, what some of those teachings. But before we begin that, uh, I like to talk about the circle itself and in relation to other cultures. So the medicine wheel are utilized by many different cult indigenous cultures around the world. They could be sacred circles as well as mandalas. Uh, for example, our Chinese brothers and sisters, uh, in one of their faiths, they utilize the yin-yang. So the yin-yang is a popular symbol used by a lot of pop culture. Um, and what the yin-yang represents is balance. So the yin-yang is a circle divided by a white quadrant and a black quadrant with a dot of white within the black quadrant and a dot of black in the white quadrant. And what this represents is day, night, good, negative, you know, stuff like that. Um, but we, so what it represents is balance, that we can't have day without night. We can't have positive without negative, right? So we can't have life without death. Teachings of what the medicine, oh my gosh, I pardon me. Teachings of what the medicine wheel represent. Oh my gosh, I can't believe it took me so long to say that. Anyways, what it represents varies widely, even between First Nations group. So as I said, the blue and the black quadrant, the colors can be interchanged. And why this is, is because First Nations group different tribes have their own teachings, their own understandings, our own languages. So let's rewind back in history when Christopher Columbus came to the New World, settled in the Americas, and he's like, oh, hey, yo, you're all Indians, <laughs> which wasn't really fair of him to do because we were our own culture groups. Um, we had our own belief systems, we had our own teachings, and we all had our own understandings of how the world went around. And that what connected us though was our connection to the land the land that we survived upon the importance the land played in everyday life and how we seen the world around us so the reason why some tribes will utilize blue instead of black is because the color black isn't always an accepted color for some tribes so black for Cree people for crow people uh, it represents death and yes, death is a natural part of life, but it's not something we try to uh, celebrate, if you will. Some, not a color we try to honor too much. Uh, even as a power dancer and being Cree, I try to honor that teaching by not utilizing black beads or black uh, colors in my regalia, in my jingle dress outfit, where people who are Dakota or Lakota from the Sioux tribes they utilize black. That's a regular color that they will utilize. So it really varies on the tribe, 
tribal teachings if the medicine wheel will utilize the color blue or the color black. Uh, despite their origins, the Mandela's goal remains the same, and they are to serve as tools on a person's journey as it symbolizes cosmic and psychic order. And going back on the design of the medicine wheel, like I said, it's very simplistic, but you shouldn't let that deceive you. Although it's only represented by four colors, there are hundreds of teachings associated with the medicine wheel. It has been said that all forms of life can be re represented in the medicine wheel. And throughout this conversation, we're going to explore some of those understandings. And some people actually refer to the medicine wheel as the circle of life. And we'll talk a little bit more on why that is pretty soon. Uh, we talked about what the heck a medicine wheel is, but now we're going to talk about the ideologies embedded within the medicine wheel. So an ideology is an individual's belief and philosophies that affect how they view the world that surrounds them. So your culture and those teachings within your culture are your religion, your faith, your upbringings, all of that influences how you choose to identify, right? So a culture's ideologies are portrayed greatly in the language they use. Um, I remember my mom saying, language is the key to the culture. It is so important to learn the language. Uh, there's so many teachings embedded within the language. And she tells me stories of the residential school, which she did have to attend, and how they the priests and nuns directly attacked the language that the children utilized, their indigenous languages, that they were forced not to speak the language, that they were forced to speak English or French. Because if they didn't, they would be severely punished. And I apologize for the gruesomeness that this entails, that she told me stories of how kids would literally get pins stuck into their tongue if they did not speak the language or how they were physically, physically abused, so extremely abused if they spoke a lick of their indigenous languages. So for a means of survival in the residential school, they had to forget their indigenous language and then have to learn this brand new language of English. Um, and this created barriers when they went home, when they aged out of residential school because where their family was still speaking their indigenous languages, they had lost that in the residential school. And my mom is one of those people. Her first language is Cree, but because of the residential school, because of all of that, she had to abandon that language and as a means of survival, right? So growing up, she didn't speak too much Cree to me because she lost it. She sent, I don't want to say she forgot it, but it was... So now that she's older and she's a grandmother now, I hear her trying to regain that knowledge, that language, and she speaks it to my younger uh, nieces and nephews, her grandchildren now. So it gives me hope, and I understand as an adult that it's my responsibility to learn Cree, which I have. But yes, many teachings embedded in the language is so, so, so important. I'm a big advocate for language, learning new languages, because there's just the way we look at the world is embedded in that. And... A few examples is in many indigenous First Nations languages, we don't have a word for goodbye. We'll say we're done or 
see you later, XA, I'm done. Um, but it's not goodbye, because the way we understand goodbye is it's an internal thing. So when we're saying goodbye, we're saying goodbye for good, that maybe that person's left the physical realm to take their journey into the spiritual realm that has passed on to heaven. Um, another example is the word atim. And if you listen to my TP teachings, you probably already heard this, but it's a good review. So atim, dog. And for the indigenous people in the plains, there were no horses for a long period of time. Horses actually died out with the Ice Age that were indigenous to North America. Um, fast forward to the 1600s, horses were starting to be reintroduced. Oh my gosh, okay. Reintroduced to the plains um, via the Spanish coming across the ocean. They brought horses with them, introduced them to the south. Uh, the horses ran away, started migrating north, and were adopted into the indigenous tribes. As the, the horses were already domesticated animals, they were already used to being around humans. So now this new creature has been introduced to the plains. Um, and the horse essentially became the helper, just like the dog. So in Cree, the people decided to name the horse Mist Atim. So, which is a play on the word atim, dog, because the horse now is the helper, just like a dog, except for he's a lot bigger. So putting that prefix mist in front of atim enlarges it. So if I was to translate mist atim, horse, directly from Cree into English, it actually means big dog. And another fun one, I, like, I really enjoy this one, is, one, is the word for woman, esquail isk whale and then the word for fire is isk whale so woman is whale fire is whale very 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 similar in sounding uh, they both begin with that prefix isk and that's not by coincidence that's on purpose uh, there's this teaching in our first nation cultures that women are the original fire keepers uh, we were responsible for, to keep the fire and it wasn't just because that's our chore. It was a belief and understanding that the spirit of the fire burns within every single woman. Um, and we think of the women in our lives. And we, if you're a woman, identify as a woman, you think of yourself too, right? And what does fire do for us? Fire, when respected, when treated properly, it can cook our food. It can provide comfort, provides warmth, you know, brings us all together. It's a very calming nurturing thing to be around but when we disrespect the fire what can it do it can literally destroy anything in its path it'll burn it will destroy it'll conquer right so let's use that example when we respect women in our lives respect our mothers for example she provides for us she takes care of us she cooks for us she cleans for us she nurtures us she brings us together you know Women, mothers, play such an important role in all our lives. Our mothers were our very first home, so we have a magical connection to our mother. Now, when you disrespected your mother or disrespected your wife, <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> it's pretty crazy. Um, just like fire, she will conquer, she will destroy, she will tear you right down if she needs to, if... if 
she feels someone she loved loves is being disrespected. How does that phrase go? Hell, no, no fury like a woman's wrath. Well, indigenous people understood this too, and they that's why they understood that the spirit of the fire live within the women because we we carry the same characteristics as the fire. So that's an example of ideologies. Uh, so the teachings of the medicine wheel are a direct reflection of First Nations ideologies. It stresses how everything within and around us are connected and how our very survival is dependent on maintaining a balance between these such entities. So by saying that, I feel even though these are First Nations ideologies, they're more holistic in nature, meaning that even if you don't identify by First Nations culture, these are teachings that you can still follow along with that can still have value in your own lives, regardless of your belief systems, your ideologies, your cultures, right? So I feel the medicine wheel is something that can connect us all, regardless of how we choose to identify. The Indigenous Connection Show. Hey guys, welcome back to the Indigenous Connections radio show. I'm your host, Randy Lynn, and today's topic is medicine wheel teachings. So a medicine wheel is actually a circle divided into four quadrants. Uh, like I said, if you're more a mathy person, think of a circle divided into four quarters, represented by four colors. So why the circle? Why the circle? Um... If you've ever attended any indigenous First Nation celebration, uh, ceremony, practice, really anything, we conduct ourselves in a circle. So the circle is quite often used in First Nations practices. And the circle has no beginning and it has no end. And that's in reference to why people call the medicine wheel the circle of life, because it's ongoing. Uh, you can't really pinpoint where the circle begins and where the circle ends, right? Uh, <laughs> I remember I was doing a presentation with some kids, and I asked them that. I'm like, so where does the circle start as we sat in the circle? And one of the kids was like, uh, whoever's sitting on the north side of the circle. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I just kind of had to laugh that one off because he wasn't wrong, but at the same time, he was kind of overpassing what I was trying to teach. Uh, so in the circle, everything is equal, balanced, and interconnected. So what I mean by that is that when we sit in a circle, we are all equals, that no person is better than the other person. So yes, there may be a mediator in the circle, but that doesn't make them more important than the person across from them or the person on the left or right of them. So regardless of your age, race, backgrounds, belief, cultures, etc., 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 all those things that make us special and unique, everyone is embraced in the circle as an equal. That brings equal things to the table, to the circle. And the beautiful thing about the circle is that there's always room for one more person. Everybody is welcome in the circle. As we sit in the circle, we embrace each other as brothers and sisters, that those differences, those things that make us special and unique, still connect us on a deeper level. So not only is the medicine wheel circular, but it is also cyclical, meaning it goes around repeatedly in a cycle. So this is what I mean. It's ongoing. The cycles 
are circular too, just like the cycles of day and night are the four seasons. The medicine wheels, many cycles have four parts or stages represented by those four colors. And that's what we're going to get into in a little bit. Each of these part stages are interconnected, meaning they all go with, they all connect within one another. There's no clear pause or break. It's kind of like they submerge within one another. There's no clear line of where one ends and one begins. Every quadrant of the medicine wheel will affect the other. Um, so a good example of what I mean here is you think of your bicycle tire or your car tire. All right, one part of it's punctured by, let's say, you ran over a nail. So just because that one part of your tire is punctured, what happens to the entire wheel as a whole? It deflates, right? You can't drive on a flat tire because of that one piece that's been punctured. So this is what I mean by each part, each quadrant affects the other quadrant. So in order for our wheels to run, to operate smoothly, we need to take care of the entire wheel as a whole, right? We can't just say, oh, that little hole, it's fine. Because it's going to affect the whole system, right? So that is what I mean by interconnectedness. And the cyclical part just means it's constantly going, 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 going. It never ends. So we're going to take a quick break. And then we're going to start talking about what each quadrant represents. Starting with the colors and the cardinal directions. Stay tuned. The Indigenous Connection Show. Hey guys, welcome back to the Indigenous Connections radio show. I'm your host, Randy Lynn, and today's topic is medicine wheel teachings. And we are going to start talking about the cardinal directions of the medicine wheel and the colors. So let's begin with the East. So for many of our practices, many of our ceremonies, we always begin in the East direction. And why is this? Because we follow the rotation of the sun. So the sun rises in the east, therefore we begin in the east as a people too. Um, With the rising of the sun, it signifies a new day, a new start, and also a new year. It is represented by the season spring, as spring is the time for rebirth and renewal. Um, Fun fact, as indigenous people, we actually start to bring our new year, we celebrate our new year in the spring unlike the Roman calendar, January 1st, for indigenous people, we understand that our new years begin at the time of the rebirth and renewal of the plants and the animals of the earth. Uh, Our teepee doors, our lodge doors, often will usually always face east to begin our prayers, and this also helps welcome the new day as there weren't windows in the teepee, right, in that shelter. So having our doors facing the east, it helps us welcome the new day with the rising sun so we can visually see the sun coming up. This color quadrant is represented by the color yellow as it's a representation for the sun as the sun rises. And the sun in Cree, we call the sun pisum. As we continue clockwise through the medicine wheel on the colors and cardinal directions we go to the south now and the reason why we go clockwise again we are following the sun's rotation so it starts out in the east comes to the south 
and the color red represents the south. Um, the south represents is represented by the season summer, as this is the time as a planet we are closest to the sun, and therefore the hottest season, right? So the color red represents this association with that warmth, that heat. The summer is also a time when the great hunts and celebrations and feasts would happen as food was plentiful. So often, this is the time of celebration. This is the time we'd have the feast because this is the time hunts would happen. This is when resources are very plentiful for the people during this season. Moving on to the West. So blue is represented by the West, alternatively black. And this represents the fall autumn seasons. And this is the time where we start to prepare for the colder months. This is the time for harvest as we harvested our food and prepared it for the colder months, which is a practice still utilized today by many cultures, right? This will be the canning season for a lot of people. This will be the time to start drying meats, etc., etc., getting all the hunts, filling the freezers for the colder months. And then we end in the north. So the north is represented by the color white. And when we think of north, when you think of north, north of you, what do you think? You think, my mind automatically goes to the Arctic, right? The Northwest Territories up going that way. And what is something that they have a lot of in the north? Snow, right? So it only makes sense to represent the north section of the medicine wheel by the color white. Um, it is in the great north that we find the powerful great north wind and we complete the season cycle here with the winter as this is the time for rest and dormancy. Um, so this was also the time where traditionally stories would be passed down, teachings would be passed down from the older to the younger generations. Stories were repetitively told to the younger ones. As indigenous people, we didn't write down our languages. Um, rather, we utilized memory to help us associate stories, teachings. So because there wasn't much to do. This was a form of entertainment to sit down and listen to the older ones share the stories repeatedly. And this is a teaching that I was taught that these stories were told repeatedly. And if you got a little annoyed and said, oh, I already know this story, then that would prevent the elder from going further with their story because you told them, oh, you already know everything. What am I doing here? Wasting my time, wasting my breath for some because you already know everything so <laughs> I had to learn that one the hard way uh, that when an elder speaking to you when an older person's passing down the teachings even if you've heard it before this is part of the traditional practices of what we refer to as passing the ball passing the teachings down and it would require a lot of memory and because we didn't have a written down language we had what a cheat sheet if you will so we utilize art to help us remind us of significant events. So what people would do in the Plains area is they would actually paint the back of a bison robe. So the 
the front part of the bison robes where all the hair is, but on the back where the hide is, they would actually paint images. And they referred to this practice as winter count. So what would happen was they would paint an image in the middle of the robe to remind them of a significant event to trigger a memory. And then it would also be utilized as a timeline and they would paint another image, but they would spiral out from that first image and paint a second image of an important event and so on and so forth and continue spiraling out with these different images. And this is how they kept track of uh, important events and how they could trigger memories of the stories of how things happened. And you can actually go to museums and see uh, winter count robes on display as that's part of our traditional practices as well as our art. With the de decline of the bison herd, we couldn't utilize bison robes as often to paint on to help us associate our memories. So being resilient people, we had to utilize the resources that were available to us. And this was once the bison herd had started to diminish, we had already made contact and relationship with the settlers. And what they brought with them was paper and books, usually their ledger books that they would kind of leave laying around. So indigenous people started to draw on this the ledger paper. And this was what gave birth to a whole new art style called ledger art. So we see this even being utilized in contemporary times that where there will be traditional images, traditional artwork drawn on top of ledger paper, so that lined paper with the numbers and the columns to honor the transition the people had to make from utilizing the bison robes, the winter count robes, to utilizing paper, ledger, ledger paper, as a way of keeping track of their histories through visual aids. So fun fact, I just wanted to share that with you. The Indigenous Connection Show. Hey guys, welcome back to the Indigenous Connections radio show. I'm your host, Randy Lynn, and today we are talking about medicine wheel teachings. So with that, we are going on to talk about the four times a day and night. So the medicine wheel is divided into four quadrants represented by four colors or four quarters, if that makes a little more sense to you. And each of those quadrants represents many, 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 many different teachings. So we will start in the east, as that's where the sun rises. So the east direction the, is represented by the yellow, and this represents the sun rising. Then we go to the south, where it is represented by midday, noon, where the sun is at highest point in the sky, represented by red. As we go on to the west, this is where the sun sets, right? This, the sun sets in the west. <laughs> I always think of that Shanghai noon quote where they're like, um, yes, the sun may rise in the east, but it sets in the west. And that helps me remind me of this. <laughs> Anywho, uh, so the sun, the east, the blue quadrant is represented by the sun setting. And then the white north is represented by the moon, the nighttime as the sun sets and then it continues on forward to rise again in the east and this is the cyclical part i was talking about how it's ongoing how it's interconnected that day will always transform into i mean sorry night will always transform into 
the sunrise. The sunrise will always transform into high noon. High noon will ultimately end up with the sun setting in the west and ultimately becoming nighttime again, right? So this is what I mean by that. So let's move forward with the four sacred plants. So each of the quadrants are represented by four sacred plants, our medicines alternatively. Uh, in previous shows, I talked a little bit about this before. So let's start with the east, as that's where the sun rises, and we always begin our practices in the east. So the east, the yellow direction, is represented by tobacco. In tobacco teachings, it's um, tobacco has always been a sacred medicine for indigenous people. It's not something we just smoked on. Um, tobacco represents our ability to give thanks and maintain a sacred balance when asking for prayers in our lives. So when growing up, that was always part of my teachings and my approach to asking for help, be it from a higher power, creator, God, be it from a teacher, be it from an elder, be it from a knowledge keeper, be it from anyone asking for help. I had to give something in exchange for receiving something. And tobacco helps us maintain that balance, that I can offer the tobacco to that knowledge keeper, to my higher power, to whoever, in exchange for them to share their teachings with me. So I'm not like, yo, gimme, 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 hook me up, hook me up, hook me up, about giving something back. So tobacco helps in that sense. As we move on to the south, we have cedar, which is a healing plant and tree. <laughs> my mom... Given our location, when she wants to use cedar, and she uses this in her smudging ceremonies, um, it's not always frequently available to her. So which her, her little secret is to go buy cedar reefs when they go on sale after the Christmas sales. And that's how she harvests her cedar for the year to come. Like I said, we're, we're resilient people. We utilize the resources we have. So... That's how she accesses her cedar for the year. Uh, moving on to the west, we got sage. And sage is considered a cleansing plant. It is often burned to invite positive energy so people can see, hear, speak, think, and feel good things in a good way. It is Sage is also referred to as a woman's medicine. Um, and there's many teachings on medicine and moon time. Um... I'm not going to get too much into that, but the sage is a woman's medicine, meaning that when a woman is in her moon time, it's, this is the medicine she would use. Um, then to the north, we have sweet grass. So we consider sweet grass the hair of Mother Earth. It is braided to remind us that as people, we are strong when mind, body, and spirit are bound together in a balanced way. So each strand of the sweet grass, that braid, represents the mind, the body, and the spirit, and how they are intertwined within each other. I've also heard stories of how the bird represents the family structure of the mother, the father, and the children. And today, in contemporary society, that's not always how a family structure looks. It's the mom, the dad, with the children, right? Um, we have blended families. We have single-parent families. We have adoptive families we have grandparents caregivers we have all types of different families even you know some people have fur babies they opt to have 
pets as their babies, which is totally normal. This is totally fine. But what that teaching is stressing that it takes a village to raise a child. It's a lot of work for one person to take on the load of the responsibility of raising this child. So often the family structure can be a mother and a grandmother helping to raise that child. It could be a father and a grandmother helping to raise that child, right? It could be a mother and a stepfather or vice versa helping to raise that child. It could be two grandparents helping to raise that child. It's just help having that second support, which makes a lot of, it helps a lot, which unfortunately isn't always accessible, but it just means a lot more just to have even a friend, a support system help you in any way, just to mentally, emotionally, physically support you in raising those children. All right. Moving forward, the four animals. And the east is represented by the eagle. And the eagle flies highest of all the birds. So the east, represented by yellow, represented by the eagle. So the eagle sees the farthest and is closest to the great spirit, to creator, to God, to the, our higher power. And because of how, fly he, how high he flies, oh my gosh, uh, we consider the eagle feathers to be very sacred and we actually utilize them for ceremonial purposes to help us heal because we believe that when the eagle flies so high, one way our prayers are brought up to be heard, to be answered by our higher power is on the wings of the eagle. Moving to the south, we have the deer represented by the color red. And the deer teaches us about generosity and sharing because it gives, it literally gives itself for our meat and for food and its skin for clothing, shoes, drums, etc. Many, many tools can be utilized out of the deer skin. <laughs> and in this area, I feel it's more of a rite of passage to hit a deer once you get your license, right? I know I've hit two deers and it's never been in my vehicle. <laughs> I feel so bad about that. I hit a deer in my dad's vehicle. I hit a deer in my brother's vehicle. Better knock on wood here. Uh, anywho, so the deer teaches us sacrifice as it's willing to give itself so that we can maintain, so that we can survive, so that we can clothe ourselves, so that we can eat that meat. Going to the west, we have the bison, which guards the western doorway and teaches people to look within themselves for guidance. And the bison for the plains people was actually one of the first teachers. Mother Nature has always been our teacher, but the bison, what I've heard, is because they are a matriarch society, the women take care of the little ones and they're kind of the bosses. Um, so for bison, Cree people, plains people, we mimicked our lifestyle around how the bison function. So they are very, very nurturing animals, very uh, maternal animals. And I've heard an elder say that's what taught us to be so nurturing, so caring for our children is by watching how these bison interacted with their little ones, how they were ready to sacrifice their lives to protect their, their calves, and how they operate in a matriarch system, which in First Nations tribes, we operate in the same way. So the bison taught us a lot, how, and it taught us how to kind of roam the plains. And we kind of followed right behind it as we'd hunt it. Uh, I talk a lot about that in my teepee teaching class. Anywho, and then we finish in the north, where the bear. So the bear 
it's in his nature to fast once the long winters hit, they hibernate. It also teaches us about strength, truth, and the wisdom of the elders to guide the truth. So the bear teaches us about sacrifice, about how how important it is to take time to stay still, to recollect ourselves, to rest, right? When it takes that time to fast and hibernate in the winter, how it's okay to stay still. (laughs) And I think that's something we should all try to practice a little more considering we're in a global pandemic at the moment just practice being okay staying still being at home being calm being quiet the indigenous connection show hey everyone welcome back to the indigenous connections radio show i'm your host randy lynn and today we are talking about medicine wheel teachings moving forward we are going to talk about the four elements and like always, we're going to begin in the east where the sun sh- sorry, where the sun rises. And the east, the yellow quadrant, is represented by the, by the element water. So when I say water, I mean rivers, oceans, lakes, uh, waterbeds, etc. And these are all considered the veins of Mother Earth. And as all living things that survive on this earth require fresh clean water right and us as humans we are no not exempt to that Uh, we are actually all born of water so when a woman is ready to give birth the sign that she's ready is that her water breaks right so we were all born of water in that sense and when we were in the womb in our mother's womb we were surrounded by water and fun fact when we think of the phrase utilized by the treating treaty signings the the phrase as long as the sun shines as long as the rivers flow and as long as the grass grows treaties should be honored but reality is there was a misinterpretation it's not rivers it was meant to be waters so what it was saying there that the waters as long as the waters flow and it's describing as long as babies are born out of water that these treaties need to be honored. So with the river's flow, it kind of got mixed up. It was actually supposed to be water flow to honor. As long as indigenous children are being born, treaties need to be um, respected. All right, so let's go to the south, represented by the color red, which I bet you can guess will be fire. So fire energy is from the sun, is at the base of all our food chains, Fires keep us warm, allow us to cook food, and sometimes the energy takes the form of fossil fuels and electricity. So the fire represents our fossil fuels as well as our electricity. So fire, sun energy, represented by the red. Going to the west, we have plants, earth, represented by the color blue, black, interchangeably. And plants require soil and minerals to grow. Mountains, plains, deserts, and all lands support life. So as humans, we are dependent on the earth, right? We are dependent on the plants for survival, for food, right? We build our houses out of the trees and the wood. So the plants. And then moving to the north, we have the last element, which is air. So... The Earth's atmosphere is like a blanket of air, allowing everything to breathe and live. So we need the air, obviously, for 
to breathe, right? Um, and going back to the cardinal directions, how I said the north, the white is represented by the great north wind. We think of this as well in that section. Moving on to the four stages of life. So we are born into this world as babies, right? We are infancy, childhood. This is a time of innocence and curiosity. Uh, we are helpless in a sense that we are so weak. We don't have the muscles or the know-how to fend for ourselves. We are dependent on the older people to provide for us. And then we move to the south, uh, our youth age. With the, this is also represented by our teenage years. Um, and in Cree tradition, Cree language, we don't have a word for teenagers. So we just say youth, our young people, our young adults to kind of differentiate between the age. So youth, this is a time for seeking and questioning. This is a time that we learn where we gain so much knowledge that we're in school, right? That we're developing into our own unique human beings and realizing what we like and what we don't like. Then in the West, the blue quadrant is represented by adulthood. And this is a time where we step outside of our own needs and start to become providers for others. We become caretakers. That is our responsibility as adults. We will start to bear our own children and maybe take care of our own family members. And then in the final stage of life, our elderhood. And this is represented by the white, the north. This is a time of old age wisdom that has been gained through a whole life of experience, a whole life of know-how, right? And just like we came in this world helpless and needing people to depend on, needing people to depend on to provide for us, our elders, their bodies start to go back, transition back into that baby stage of needing help, needing assistance to take care of themselves, right? So the four stages of life continue on and forward. So as elders, we tra they transition back into that babyhood, if you will, as they prepare to make their journey into the spirit world. And finally, we're going to talk about the four aspects of human beings, which is the emotional, the mental, the spiritual, and the physical. So beginning in the East, we're going to talk about spirituality. Um, when spiritual, spirituality enables us to see and have vision, this is where knowledge is revealed. Um, so spirituality could be anything from our religion to meditation to reading holy scriptures to just feeling things that are not always mental or physical, being outside of our heads, being at peace with ourselves finding that connection to something bigger than ourselves to help us feel like we're not alone in this world, that there are entities that we can turn to to help guide us, to help motivate us, right? All right, moving on to the self, which is represented by emotions. And you probably don't know me personally, but maybe you could pick this up in my voice. I'm a very emotional person. And we say that each individual person is automatically drawn to one of these quadrants that they are strong in that sense. And I'm, I'm a very, very emotionally strong, very emotionally vocal person. And I think that's why I became a social worker and became studied mental health. Anywho, so emotion allows us to feel and 
know through relating help us emphasize with other people. Uh, emotion is very important. Going back to water, when we cry, when we let ourselves just have a good cry, it's actually once we're done, science has proven that once you're done crying, a chemical in your brain is released and it helps calm and soothe and essentially heal you, right? So emotions are very important to feel. Next, in the West, we have the physical And this enables us to act and do, to learn and know through responding. So physical activity, uh, again, very healing, getting those endorphins going um, through basic workouts and whatnot. Um, Then to the north, we have our mental, which allows us to think and learn through reflection. So mental could be represented by research, reading books, um, doing puzzles, you know, challenging your brain, doing little fun activities like that. Uh, So what I really want to talk about is how each of these things, the mental, the emotional, the spiritual, and the physical are interconnected, how they all are related to one another. And how it's so important to take care of all four and not just one. So a lot of people get caught up in the the physical, wanting to become physically strong and neglecting their emotions and their spirituality because of it, right? Or some people become so consumed with the mental, like video games and playing puzzles and whatnot, that they lack their physical. So, for example, when you are physically ill with the cold art of flu, you know, something that just makes your body ache and you just feel so, ugh. How do you feel emotionally? Do you feel good? Are you like, oh yeah, awesome, I'm sick, I'm puking, huh, life's great, uh-huh. Or are you like, oh, leave me alone, don't look at me, I hate life, I'm so sick. You know, you emotionally you respond to your physical ailment because it's not fun to be sick, right? And vice versa. And I see this a lot in residential school survivors and a lot of victims of trauma, of undealt with trauma, that they have this emotional pain embedded in with, embedded in them that they have um, suppressed for a long period of time, that they've pushed down emotion, they push down their emotions, and they don't want to touch them, they don't want to go there because it's too hard for them to process, to feel these emotions, to let them go. They don't, or they might not even feel safe enough to feel these emotions. And the years go on suppressing these, this trauma, this pain, these emotions that have been bodied up in their, bodied up with them for years. The, they need to be felt, they need to come out. And because they're not being dealt with through talking, through healing, they're going to come out in physical ailment. And we see this in cancer. We see this in diabetes. We see this in a lot of aches and pains, you know. And a simple example, when you're stressed out about something or you're worried about something or you're angry about something, sometimes our bodies react, right? We get a headache. We get a backache. We get a stomach ache. We feel tension in our bodies. So we cannot neglect one of those without taking care of the other. Going back to that example of the wheel of how if we puncture one side of the wheel, it's going to affect the whole way the system operates, right? But 
when we take time to take care of one of those quadrants, we feel good from the whole we feel good as a whole going back to those endorphins for example you take time to physically work out mentally emotionally you feel accomplished after right you feel good endorphins have been released you're proud of yourself uh spirituality you take care of your spirit you go to meditation you go to church you go to ceremony you go to whatever spirituality aspect you enjoy you go do that and then you relieve there and you feel a little bit lighter. You feel a little better about yourself. You feel good, right? Your emotions feel good. Your mind feels good. Your body feels good. So this is what I wanted to stress of how everything is interconnected and how it's so important to take care of our whole system in our bodies. And I feel this is what they really mean by living in balance. Because when we don't live in balance, we feel it in one way or another. Hey guys, welcome back to the Indigenous Connections Radio Show. I'm your host, Randy Lynn, and today's topic was Medicine Wheel Teachings. So we are going to wrap things up, but I just want to mention that what we talked about really only scratches the surface of what teachings are embedded within the Medicine Wheel. And the Medicine Wheel is more a contemporary model utilized by Indigenous folks, but that's okay. Um... It's helped many businesses, agencies, social agencies, groups, schools help bring an indigenous perspective into the schools to help honor the indigenous ideologies. As I've talked about earlier, we do a lot of things in circles. So we we don't perceive the world linear. We perceive it in a holistic perspective around and around and around it goes so many agencies have adopted the medicine wheel to break down their own models of thought um some examples when i was working at the in alberta council of women's shelter they asked me to design a medicine wheel version of domestic abuse to help their indigenous clients understand the telltale signs of domestic abuse and how that looks from a mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical level. So thank you for joining me on that. Feel free to dig a little deeper on that. I hope you got a little bit from all that talking I did today and why it's so important to live in balance and respect each side of ourselves. So next week, I think our topic will be Orange Shirt Day, Every Child Matters, and talking about the residential school system and the legacy it's left upon us as a society. This is going to be a very heavy topic to talk about. Uh, I imagine I'll have to break it down into two shows, which is fine. But regardless of that, it's uncomfortable to talk about. It's very important to talk about because this is our history as Canadians. Uh, Again, however you identify I believe we are all affected by the residential school. So thank you for joining me on that today. And I hope you guys have a great week and we'll catch up again soon. And that's the Indigenous Connection Show with Randy Lynn. I like to give credit to A Tribe Called Red for their track sisters that we used in our intro.